Uh, there, as I said, have really been transformational changes in the organization and character and structure and environment of the workplace. And we need a board that can address those, that can um, uh, adapt the board, the NLRA, make it relevant and have it meet those changes and those challenges and not shrink away from that and, and become irrelevant to the workplace. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. This is Bob Ambrogi. I come to you from just outside of Boston, Massachusetts. My co-host, Jay Craig Williams, is off this week. I, of course, write a blog called Law Sites and also the Media Law Blog. And uh, Craig's uh, a blogger at uh, mayitpleasethecourt.com. And before we get started, I'd like to just thank our sponsors for this week's program, SunTrust, which offers private wealth management solutions for attorneys and law firms at suntrust.com slash law. And Clio, the web-based practice management program, which is available at goclio.com. Well, starting this week for the first time in more than two years, the National Labor Relations Board has a quorum, uh, but not everyone in the labor management field is necessarily greeting that as good news. While Congress was away on Easter break, President Obama exercised his presidential powers to make recess appointments of two union side attorneys, Craig Becker and Mark Pierce, to fill two of the three vacant seats on the board. Uh, he didn't take any action with respect to uh, a Republican uh, uh, candidate uh, that's also been pending. Uh, those two new uh, board members join the board's Democratic chairwoman, Wilma Liebman, and the one Republican member on the board, Peter Schomber. Uh, Schomber's term expires in August. Business groups had strongly opposed the appointment of Becker in particular, and uh, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce has now warned its members uh, with, with these appointments to watch for radical changes in U.S. labor policy. Labor groups, meanwhile, have hailed the appointments, adding to uh, perhaps all the, all the drama surrounding these appointments is the fact that uh, uh, much of what the uh, NLRB, uh, at least what the board has done over the last couple of years, is is up in question. Uh, the Supreme Court heard arguments last month uh, on whether the the two member uh, board uh, was uh, appropriately deciding cases and, and taking actions as such, uh, and uh, a decision should be forthcoming in that at some point. So to uh, to talk about all of this. Uh, uh, turmoil, if you will, at the National Labor Relations Board. We have two guests joining us today. Uh, first of all is uh, a returning guest to this program, Nancy Schiffer. Uh, Nancy is Associate General Counsel with the American Federation of Labor, uh, Congress of Industrial Organizations, the AFL-CIO. Her work focuses on worker organizing and member mobilization, state and local legislation in support of workers' rights 
and NLRA jurisprudence and procedure. Uh, Nancy Schiffer is a frequent speaker on labor law issues and has testified as a labor law expert before congressional committees and subcommittees. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Nancy. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. And uh, next to join us is uh, Attorney Charles Cohen, uh, Senior Counsel at Morgan Lewis and Bacchus uh, Labor and Employment Practice uh, based in Washington, D.C. Uh, Charles Cohen goes by the goes by the name uh, nickname Chuck. Uh, Chuck's practice focuses on representing senior management in complex labor and employment law matters in the private sector. From 1994 to 1996, he served as a member of the NLRB himself. Uh, and prior to that presidential appointment, he held executive and staff labor law positions with the NLRB as well as in private practice. He is also head of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce NLRB subcommittee. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, uh, Chuck Cohen. Thank you very much, uh, Bob. Glad to be here. Uh, let's start with uh, perhaps the most recent news, these the appointments uh, of uh, attorneys Becker and Pierce. Uh, both uh, are, are union side uh, attorneys. Uh, Mr. Mr. Becker has, has worked at the NLRB, has, has been uh, in, in academics. Um, Mr. Pierce uh, has practiced uh, with firms, uh, I think most recently in, in Buffalo, um, what do you make uh, of uh, Nancy? Let's start with you. What what do you, what do you see these uh, appointments uh, as representing? What do they mean to the AFL CIO? Well, I think what they mean to everyone is that we now have a board with four members. Uh, the Supreme Court, as you mentioned, recently heard argument on whether the board can proceed and issue decisions with only two members, which is what they've had for the last. 27 months. And so it was extremely important that the president uh, be able to make these recess appointments and put two more members on the NLRB. These these uh, individuals have been nominated last summer. And as reflective, I mean, this is reflective of the politicization of the Senate, that it's been a torturous process to try to get them through the system. And so in order to make sure we had a functioning a fully functioning board. The president made these recess appointments. Uh, and, and Chuck Cohen, what's your position on this? Why has the uh, Chamber of Commerce in particular been uh, so concerned about these appointments? Uh, thank you, Bob. Let, let me start by saying that, uh, as we know, the NLRB is supposed to be composed of five members. And it's uh, structured in such a way so as that there will be one vacancy each year. And in theory, there would be a separate individual nominated and then confirmed uh, each year. And by unbroken tradition, the party that occupies the White House has three of the appointments to the board as they open, and the opposition party has two. Um, as you noted in the beginning, we're down to two members and have been for, had been for over a uh, two-year period of time. Um, it is unfortunate, and it's probably reflective of our society, that we've gotten to a point where confirmation of board members is uh, uh, a difficult matter. So, uh, again, there should be five members of the board, uh, even with these two recess appointees. Uh, there will only be four. So uh, President Obama chose to make uh, recess appointees of both Craig Becker and Mark Pierce. Um, uh, but 
there, of course, was uh, rather widespread concern in the management community uh, about uh, largely academic writings that uh, Mr. Becker uh, had uh, published uh, during his long tenure uh, in academia. And, of course, his background was that he was representing both the AFL-CIO and the SEIU, two very dramatic organizations. So um, the fact that there are recess appointments that have been made uh, is not particularly earth-shattering from my perspective, Um, but we would have to close our eyes to the fact that there was substantial opposition to Mr. Becker. Uh, He could not get through the Senate, but the president uh, nonetheless chose to recess appoint him, as was his prerogative. Uh, and of course, in so doing, the president chose to uh, recess only to Democratic appointees and lift, leave that uh, remaining seat vacant. So it's a bold move, and it's one that, that has a good deal of the uh, business community uh, concerned, uh, at least. Well, remind our listeners uh, why it was that uh, the chamber and others in, in the business sector uh, opposed uh, the nomination of Mr. Becker in particular. Let me basically start with something that occurred near the end of the process, and that is there was a Senate hearing uh, that Mr. Becker uh, attended and testified at. And at that hearing, he explained that he had had a good deal of academic writings and uh, I think he would have been the first to concede, if he didn't at the hearing, that uh, positions that he uh, was espousing in those writings uh, were ones that, for example, would take the employer out of the union recognition process and the NLRB processes uh, and largely the campaign processes as well. Um, that Those positions were quite a uh, strong departure from the norm, uh, both uh, the law as it uh, is administered now and and how organizing campaigns occur. But Mr. Becker in that hearing uh, solemnly said to the Senate that those were just the writings of an academic whose uh, responsibility he said it was to test legal propositions uh, and that uh, if and when he were confirmed uh, to the board or presumably serving on the board in this recess capacity, I don't think there's any functional difference there, that uh, that he took the obligation quite seriously to administer the law and not to make the law. Uh, that's what we need to see. And that's what uh, I believe would have the effect of dispelling uh, the controversy over his appointment. Uh, many, many cases at the NLRB are not particularly controversial cases. Uh, but there are, and most of those, almost all of them, uh, tend to be issued unanimously. But there are a number of cases which can be cutting edge, which uh, when there's a Democratic majority, they would tend to go in one direction, creating new precedents or overruling old precedents, uh, and with a Republican majority, the other way. And uh, the question is really going to be, how will the law be administered? Will it be done uh, in accordance with uh, precedent? Uh, Or will this perhaps be a departure in an attempt to get through the NLRB 
uh, what cannot be achieved through legislative change, uh, which has been sought over the last several years by organized labor. So we have to see how that's going to play itself out. If I could just add some facts that we've left out of this mix <laughs> to paint this Please picture do. of this horrible person coming onto the board. Um, Craig Becker is a graduate of Yale University, Yale Law School. He's taught at some of our nation's most prestigious law schools, Georgetown University of Chicago, UCLA. I mean, he is a preeminent labor scholar, and his area has been NLRA. He is um, extremely qualified to be on the NLRB. Uh, the uh, references to his academic writings have been taken are, are 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 not what he said when you go back and actually look at what he wrote, but they became a surrogate um, uh, for labor law reform, and and he he became a, a I think a scapegoat of the Republican Party for this. But the facts are that Bush recessed seven board members. His first appointments to the NLRB, Bush two, when he became president, were recess appointments. Two Republicans made at a time when there were only two board members like now, and he did not appoint a Democrat at that time. He appointed just two Republicans. So uh, what uh, President Obama has done is not unprecedented. It's exactly what uh, President Bush did before him. And one of of, uh, President Bush's first appointments, this recess appointment he made, was a senior labor attorney right out of the Chamber of Commerce. So this is is not exactly uh, um, uh, so, so the appointment of Craig Becker is an academic, a leading academic, a scholar, a pract- labor law practitioner is is not this um, uh, unprecedented and 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 bold move that that's been painted. Let, let me just clarify one thing, and I, I don't believe Nancy was implying that in any way. Nobody on this call is in any way applying implying that Craig Becker is somehow a horrible person or anything like that. Uh, I don't think that there's anything that's been said on the program that would lead anybody to believe that that was an implication here. Uh, unquestionably, Mr. Mr. Becker uh, is somebody who has devoted his professional career uh, to traditional labor. And uh, uh, at least as far as I'm concerned, there is absolutely nothing personal in uh, anything that is the subject of this uh, uh, show. Well, no, and Chuck, I heard you say that uh, you know the 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 uh, the record uh, of what he does on the board will be the true test of of uh, you know uh, what the this appointment will mean. Um, but but hasn't it always been the case with with the NLRB that that policy? Uh, it does shift uh, w- with the political tides and 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 with uh, the the weight uh, the political weight of the board, whether it's uh, primarily Democratic or primarily re- primarily Republican. It, wh- why is there so much concern now uh, that uh, you know either from the business community that that the board will go off in in a in a more, uh, you know, a, a pro-union way, or, or uh, by the union side, that that it hasn't been uh, uh, doing that uh, in in the recent past. Uh, is it there always some politicization <laughs> in what the board uh, does and in, in the cases that it decides? I, I, I think, think that, that there, there always is. There right? has been uh, politicization, ab- absolutely. Uh, but let me turn to the time when I served on on the board, which of course was in the in the Clinton administration. Uh, there was a uh, desire to get 
uh, the National Labor Relations Act opened up for so-called reform. Uh, it did not have the political winds behind it. Uh, instead, there was a, uh, a commission established called the Dunlop Commission, um, and there was uh, an attempt through the NLRB to change uh, many precedents in the law. Uh, we could argue about how successful those changes were. Uh, and whether they radically changed the landscape or not, but there was a reversal of over 50 precedents uh, during the, the Clinton board era. And uh, similarly, in the uh, Bush II era, uh, there were reversals of precedent that went the other way. A fair amount of this is a reflection of the split in our society and that the political parties have. Uh, and, of course, none of us are strangers to the fact that there has been uh, a large attempt to enact the Employee Free Choice Act, commonly called the Card Check Bill, um, which uh, would have dramatically changed uh, the labor landscape. Um, so that, as we know, is not advancing as we speak through Congress and uh the question gets raised about what are the nature of the changes that are going to take place at the NLRB this time around. That's, of course, a fair question. And as I said earlier, and as you recognize, Bob, the uh, the truth in all this comes out in terms of what are the decisions and what's the administration of the act uh, look like uh, by the current board. Well, the Bush administration, you, you, Chuck, you referenced the, the Clinton board, but the, the Bush administration board did its fair share of overruling precedent and establishing new rules, diminishing worker rights, withdrawing coverage from whole groups of workers, shrinking remedies that are already wild, widely criticized as pitiful. And in fact, in uh, late uh, 2007, Congress conducted a joint House-Senate subcommittee hearing on the NLRB and its recent decisions and their impact on workers' rights. So this clearly got this Bush board's uh, withdrawing of, of um, board protections and coverage for workers clearly got a lot of, of attention um, when the board, sort of the end of the Bush board in, in 07 as it drew to a close. And it seemed to be a board that was really taking itself into diminished relevance and in, even into obsolescence, the word that you've used before, in connection with the workplace and making itself less adaptable and less effective to really transformational changes in the American workplace and workforce. So uh, what is at stake now? We have, uh, we have a Democratic majority on the board. We have uh, the one Republican on the board uh, facing a, a term expiration in a, in a few months, really. Uh, there's another Republican nominee out there uh, awaiting Senate action. Uh, and there's a backlog of, I understand, some 200 or more cases. Uh, are, are there major issues uh, right now that are pending before the board uh, that, uh, that could uh, really shape labor policy? Let me uh, first start with a little context there. Um, uh, during this period of time when the two-person board uh, has been functioning, uh, I think both uh, Chairman Liebman and Member Schaumburg to be applauded for their 
attempt at getting out whatever cases that they could unanimously agree on uh, would uh, get issued. And of course, that issue that issue has been crisped, and the um, uh, the Supreme Court has heard oral argument in, in the case, and all of their getting out of approximately 600 cases might uh, have been for naught, but we don't have that decision yet. The backlog of 200 cases by historical standards is, is rather modest. Uh, to be sure, embedded in those 200 are quite a number uh, that could be controversial matters, but it is not as if the uh, ship hasn't been uh, operating during the last 26 months. It has been, and uh, it's not an enormous backlog for the, uh, the new board to, to tackle. I agree. Although case filings are down, in prior years, the backlog has been as high as five or 600 cases. And Chairman Liebman and Member Schomburg issued almost 600 cases during this period of time. And we're really quite diligent in trying to push out decisions in cases where they could reach consensus. Okay, we're going to take a short break right now. We'll be back in a few moments to talk more about the National Labor Relations Board. Has the recent economic climate affected the financial goals of your firm? Get back on track with help from SunTrust. Our private wealth management legal specialty group works solely with lawyers and their firms to deliver unique solutions designed for the legal community. SunTrust advisors give you sound guidance on everything from maximizing cash flow and waiting through benefits planning to understanding how to retain attorneys and staff. Learn more at www.suntrust.com slash legal. SunTrust. Live solid. Bank solid. SunTrust Bank. Member FDIC. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount. Someone's at the door. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, I need to do that too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. Perfect. I'll do that right now. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi. We're joined by Nancy Schiffer, Associate General Counsel with the AFL-CIO in Washington, D.C., and Chuck Cohen, Senior Counsel at Morgan Lewis & Bacchius in its Labor and Employment Practice Group, also in Washington, D.C. Chuck, you were uh, a member of the NLRB. Um, it, how how tell us tell our listeners a little bit about how it works. I mean, the NLRB is a unique uh, creature to some extent in that it's it's both a quasi adjudicative agency, but also a, a prosecutorial agency uh, under the general counsel. Uh, so, what what is the role of an NLRB member for any of our listeners who aren't familiar with it? Sure, uh, 
basically, uh, the functions of the NLRB board members, as opposed to the rest of the agency, uh, is uh, performing the function of uh, an appellate body. Uh, they handle appeals of representation cases from regional directors, and they handle, on exceptions, uh, appeals of administrative law judge decisions in representation cases. Uh, unlike most general counsels of government agencies, at the NLRB, it is the general counsel who is the sole prosecutor of, of cases, and the uh, general counsel decides in his or her discretion, which matters to issue complaint on, and only upon the issuance of the complaint does the matter uh, reach the board. Um, the board doesn't always have five members, as, as we talked about. Uh, we did have the luxury at the time that I was appointed in 1994 of a bipartisan package uh, of appointees getting confirmed by the Senate simultaneously. Uh, and... Uh, that permits the board, which typically decides cases in panels of three, uh, to go forward and decide those cases. Um, of course, precedent can be overruled, uh, but it is also a destabilizing uh, event uh, to uh, business, labor, employee community to have rules go back and forth. But unfortunately, that, that does happen. Uh, it has happened more in recent times than it used to, uh, and that has its own uh, added destabilizing effect, of course. Um, but uh, as I said before, people tend to overlook uh, the multitude of cases which issue unanimously uh, regardless of who the board members are at any particular point in time. And I should say also that the dedicated staff of the NLRB that works in the field offices under the direction of the general counsel, um, day in and day out, handle elections, they handle hearings, they investigate cases, they try cases before administrative law judges, and the functioning of those matters tends to be uh, a lot less uh, politicized than do the cases at the top of the pyramid, uh, which the board itself decides. Now, the general counsel, uh, Ronald Meisberg, uh, uh, I, I think, uh, originally took that post under a recess appointment. Uh, his term also expires in August of this year. Does that mean that we're, we will be having uh, the President Obama will be appointing uh, a general counsel uh, or have the opportunity to appoint a general counsel? Uh, and what might that mean in terms of uh, NLRB policy? Nancy, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, Typically, um, if if there, there's not a confirmed uh, candidate at that time, uh, there could be an acting general counsel, so that there's not a vacancy in that position. It's also possible that there could be a recess appointment, as has gotten a lot of attention um, in other areas. The, the Obama administration uh, has a lot of nominees that have been held up in the Senate. I a lot of the, uh, you know, I think there was an allusion to this earlier, This the discussion about the Employee Free Choice Act and, and concern about what uh, these appointments might mean. Uh, I mean, that, that act has been stalled uh, uh, legislatively. Uh, is there an opportunity for the NLRB to do through policy what uh, has not been able to be done through uh, Congress? Which one? 
Go ahead, Nancy. In order to really make a difference and really reform labor law, there really needs to be legislative change. This statute is 75 years old. It hasn't kept pace with other employment discrimination statutes. There are a lot of changes that need to be made to bring it up to date. And it really, that is going to require legislative reform. And what kind of legislative reforms would you want to see? What, what, how should the National Labor Relations Act be brought up to date? We should make sure that workers who want to have a union have a, a path to, take, to forming a union that uh, doesn't involve extended delays, that doesn't involve them having to put their jobs and their families' welfare on the line. Uh, for a lot of workers, they face losing their job if they want to have a union and, and become involved in union activities. We need a way for workers to actually uh, be able to bargain a contract if they decide that they want to have a union. Right now, 44% of first contract uh, bargaining fails, and so we need a way to reverse that trend. The NLRB remedies have been universally criticized as pitiful. They do not affect employer behavior. The Human Rights Watch says they become just a cost of doing business for employers. And so we need to make changes there, and we need to really streamline the process and eliminate so much delay that is now built into the NLRA process. Chuck, do you agree with any of that? Um, not much. <laughs> uh, it's beyond the parameters, I think, of this show to have the, the wholesale debate about uh, whether the NLRA really needs to be amended or not. Uh, it, would, it would take a, a long time and a lot to go into. Uh, and, of course, driving a lot of this is the low-density number that uh, organized labor has these days. Uh, it is down to approximately 7.2% of the private sector workforce, um, with there actually being more public sector employees represented than private sector employees these days. And uh, whether that's good for the country or not good for the country is, again, I think, beyond this, not just beyond the scope of the program, but basically beyond the purview of the National Labor Relations Board. Uh, the board's job is to handle the cases that are brought to it and to decide those cases, to make sure employees do have an opportunity to uh, express their views in a secret ballot NLRB election, unless the law is changed to take away NLRB secret ballot elections. So uh, uh, there's a lot that goes into this. Uh, there are uh, horror stories that get trotted out, uh, but in my experience, uh, which is unfortunately at this point uh, uh, just about four decades worth, um, the so-called good old days before employers were actively uh, trying to uh, impose their will on employees in terms of union representation uh, were not such good old days at all. And I think, uh, in my judgment, there are many world forces, not the least of which is globalization of the economy that, that has to do with the union density issue much more than any other issue out there. But uh, that's just a, a thumbnail of it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you, Chuck, bringing us back to what actually can be accomplished under the Act because uh, there, as I said, have really been transformational changes in the organization and character and structure and environment of the workplace. And we need a board that can address those, that can um, uh, adapt the board, the NLRA, make it relevant, and have it meet those changes and those challenges. 
and not shrink away from that and, and become irrelevant to the workplace. Well, and there are a, a number of areas in which the, the board can make a judgment call one way or the other and, and come down on an, on an issue in a way that's perceived as pro-management or that's perceived as, as pro-labor. And uh, it's not legislating per se, but uh, it certainly uh, it has a major influence on, on policy um, in that regard. Uh, we are, are unfortunately, uh, just about getting to the end of our program. And, and before we do that, I'd like to give each of you an opportunity to close with your uh, final thoughts on this issue. And uh, also, if you would like to let our listeners know how they can follow up with you in some way, you're invited to do that as well. Uh, so, uh, Nancy Schiffer of the AFL-CIO, let's start with you. Okay, thank you. And thanks for inviting me to, to be on the uh, Lawyer to Lawyer. I appreciate it. Um, we are hoping that with the uh, additional members on the board, so we now have the board at uh, uh, a quorum, that we will see uh, fair and well-reasoned decisions that recognize the basic purpose of the act to protect workers' rights, to organize, and to bargain collectively, and that we will see a board that uh, steps up to the challenge of the modern workplace and is able to apply the act in those circumstances. Um, for more information, our website is aflcio.org. Thank you very much, Nancy. And uh, Chuck Cohen, your final thoughts? Uh, sure. Uh, my final thoughts are we uh, we have a board now composed of four individuals, uh, two of whom are recess appointees. I would hope we would be in a position to have five confirmed appointees. The board functions best when that uh, is the uh, the landscape there? Uh, I am certainly hopeful that Mr. Becker and Mr. Pierce uh, will faithfully administer the NLRA, uh, will do their jobs out there, and uh, will apply the precedent that is outstanding and uh, do their jobs in the way that I'm sure. Uh, they would intend to to have their jobs done. Uh, hopefully, we'll, as I say, we'll we'll get on with the rest of the appointment process. We'll restore it to the kind of uh, political balance that is envisioned in the statute, and that uh, the act will be administered, and the NLRB will go forward in what it's called upon to do. Oh, and I can be reached if anybody cares at uh, ccohen at morganlewis.com. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you again to Nancy Schiffer uh, and Chuck Cohen for taking the time to be with us on today's program. Reminder to our listeners that they can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows at thelegaltalknetwork.com and also that uh, they can now earn CLE credit through the West Legal Ed Center for listening to select Legal Talk Network podcasts. Uh, to do that, go to thelegaltalknetwork.com and click on West Legal Ed Center. Thanks again to both of you for your time today and your thoughts on this topic. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. 
and me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.